You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, it's a common expression in leadership, right? The buck stops here. Governor McKee doesn't seem to be a a big believer in that. Why do I say that? Well, Governor McKee now is trying to pass the buck, seemingly, to Governor Raimondo. Now, keep in mind, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, he took over in March of 21. He's basically, next month, have been governor for three years But he now wants to pass the buck and says, let's go back, even though he's had the same director DOT, Peter Alviti, Governor McKee is now saying, I think we need to blame Gina Raimondo. Let's pick up the story with Channel 12. Day 51 of the bridge breakdown. At the time of our interview, Governor Dan McKee said he had not talked to Director Alviti yet about those emails. However, he says he agrees the public deserves to know everything there is out there about the Washington Bridge. Underwater inspections continue. This is one of the consulting firms working on the Washington Bridge confirmed by RIDOT. Our cameras captured a diver going in. The emails also suggest that the problems at the bridge were there, just not visible prior to that July inspection. Yeah, so, I mean, yesterday I brought in all the engineers that are working on the project, uh, zoomed them in my office, introductory, make sure that they, I, I get an understanding of the work they're doing. I'm going to really withhold any comments until we get the information from the engineers. And as you see, that work continues. My conversation with the governor focused on the internal write-out emails obtained by Target 12, focused on the Washington Bridge. Though a spokesperson for write-out says the agency withheld an undisclosed number of documents related to the closure. The earliest email handed over by RIDOT is from Friday, December 8th, barely 72 hours before the bridge closed. Have you talked to the director about any of this? We saw emails that predate at least three days before the 11th. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't had the conversation about the questions you're asking right now. That's why we've assigned Joe Alman in our office uh, to make sure that we're coordinating amongst different departments that are impacted. Um, by the um, the work that's happening uh, at, on the bridge and the um, so yes I haven't I haven't had that conversation. Do you plan to today? What's that? Do you plan to talk to? Well, the I'll, I'll get updated on where we are and and what the uh, the issues are. You know, every day I am more than once a day. You could imagine that this is a top priority. And like I said, that's why we've got Joe doing the work. I actually was talking to Joe on the way over. That didn't come up. We were talking about things that are you know very much about. Um, What are we going to do? And again, we're going to fix the bridge, we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it safe. Now, again, that is Governor McKee. Um, Folks, they are, the fact he's, you know, trying to say, well, now, you know, he's like along for the ride. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get answers, too. Well, yeah, but you were in charge of it. And something that I, I just find very uncomfortable is Governor McKee almost, he, he almost acts like he, he is just like a a um how else can i describe it he he's just like a regular citizen the the dot and and governor mckee was even saying you know i i got the phone call and uh and then i was being told that the bridge was going to close like no no they 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 report to you you're not just a regular taxpayer they you're in charge you're supposed to be in charge put it that way i also want to single out this goes back to December 19th, and Alexandra Leslie of WPRI. Now, this is something I've been hearing from the beginning, that Governor McKee and his staff— Now, by the way, let, let me just—I want to be very clear about something. If someone tells the governor's chief of staff, for the governor to say, well, I didn't know, th- there's so much of this that becomes he should know. And if his top people are aware, it's McKee administration— he plays this shell game because if you say to people, don't tell me anything, I don't want to know, well, then that doesn't mean that you don't know. It just means that you're choosing not to acknowledge that you have knowledge of this, if that makes sense. But he was asked about the timing. It was the Army-Navy game. They knew on Friday, and they wanted to push it off till Monday. So, But I want you to listen to Governor McKee's response. And again, I really want to credit Alexandra Leslie of Channel 12 for even asking the question. Here it is. question. The Army-Navy game was that weekend. Did that have anything to play with the decision there? 
hosts. No, we were happy to host the Army Navy. I think uh, Mayor Smiley was very happy to have a midshipman in, in, uh, in our community. And at that point in time, it was business as usual, as it should be. Uh, the phone call came in on Monday at, I said, like I said, around 2.51. Uh, certainly getting the timeline of the sequence of events that l led up to the decision. But the decision was a good decision based on the information that we had at that moment in time. The phone call came in. He's acting like he got the alert on his phone with everyone else. The phone call came in. How is it that your 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 people knew about it on Friday? Without question, he wasn't going to have that ruin the weekend. What changed between Friday to Monday, Governor? Why was it on Friday, let's not close it, and Monday, let's close it? That That doesn't make any sense. The fact it was put off, it, it certainly sounds like as much as the, quote, young engineer, who turns out to be a 40-year-old individual, it's my understanding, who's been there for um, 16 years, hardly young and hardly, they, they portrayed it as like a new eagle eye person that caught it. Um, it sounds like they, they could have caught it Thursday. Why didn't they catch it Monday? Why didn't they catch it the week before? The bridge was bouncing. That's how dangerous this is. So the governor plays it. That's then he pivots into the talking point. The phone call came in at 2.51. I was notified they're going to close the bridge. You're the one that decides that. He Again, he acts to me like he's just along for the ride. That it's as if he has no power in the decision making you're the governor let me play this again again i want to credit alexandra leslie because that's i've been i've been hearing this since day one he wasn't going to let this ruin the army navy weekend in, 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 the, in our community and at that point in time it was business as usual as it should be uh, the phone call came in on monday at i said like i said around 251 uh, certainly getting the timeline of the sequence of events that l led up to the decision but the decision was a good decision based on the information that we had at that moment in time. Well, if it was a good decision on Monday, would it, wouldn't it have been a good decision on Friday? Wouldn't it be maybe good be a good decision the Monday, you know, prior? I, I don't, I, you know what, what he's saying doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. So I think she's exactly right about this Army-Navy game. On that timing, that's a follow to Ed's question. The Army-Navy game was that weekend. Did that have anything to play with the decision there? No, we were happy to host the Army-Navy. I think uh, Mayor Smiley was very happy to have the midshipmen in, in, uh, in our community. And at that point in time, it was business as usual as it should be. What do you mean business as usual? It certainly wasn't business as usual on Monday. and hasn't been since. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252, 323-9252, AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions, also commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling contact them today it's a family-run business aj drywall plaster home improvements call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401-323-9252 you can also find them on facebook it's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, folks, again, the Newton teacher strike, illegal strike, <clears throat> continues. This is insanity. They should fire those teachers. Let's go back to 1981, August. Who's the president? President Reagan air traffic controllers go on strike what was his speech this morning at 7 a.m the union representing those who man america's air traffic control facilities called a strike 
This was the culmination of seven months of negotiations between the Federal Aviation Administration and the Union. At one point in these negotiations, agreement was reached and signed by both sides, granting a $40 million increase in salaries and benefits. This is twice what other government employees can expect. It was granted in recognition of the difficulties inherent in the work these people perform. Now, however, the union demands are 17 times what had been agreed to, $681 million. This would impose a tax burden on their fellow citizens, which is unacceptable. I would like to thank the supervisors and controllers who are on the job today, helping to get the nation's air system operating safely. In the New York area, for example, four supervisors were scheduled to report for work and 17 additionally volunteered. At National Airport, a traffic controller told a newsperson he had resigned from the union and reported to work because, quote, how can I ask my kids to obey the law if I don't, end quote. This is a great tribute to America. Let me make one thing plain. I respect the right of workers in the private sector to strike. Indeed, as president of my own union, I led the first strike ever called by that union. I guess I'm maybe the first one to ever hold this office who is a lifetime member of an AFL-CIO union. But we cannot compare labor management relations in the private sector with government. Government cannot close down the assembly line. It has to provide without interruption the protective services which are government's reason for being. It was in recognition of this that the Congress passed a law forbidding strikes by government employees against the public safety. Let me read the solemn oath taken by each of these employees in a sworn affidavit when they accepted their jobs. I am not participating in any strike against the government of the United States or any agency thereof, and I will not so participate while an employee of the government of the United States or any agency thereof. It is for this reason that I must tell those who fail to report for duty that this morning, they are in violation of the law, and if they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. You know, we later learned that, and Reagan held uh, true on that promise. So later in history, uh, we learned that world leaders were watching that, especially the Russians. And that resonated in the Soviet Union. What a difference it was between then President Reagan and Carter of Reagan, when he said it, he meant it. And then look what happened. They, they were terminated. So that he set the tone that, you know, you don't throw out something like that, right? Remember when uh, Obama kept violating his own line in the sand? If you put that down, if you throw that down, then then you have to stand by it. So let's go to some of the latest sound. This is insanity. They should fire those teachers. Let's go to uh, WBZ television, the, uh, the, the CBS 4. This, they should terminate these student teachers. Let's pick up some of the latest now. Increasingly frustrated. A second family filed an emergency motion asking a judge to end the strike. And city leaders are putting the pressure on. Our children are suffering because they are not in school. And the kids are just left hanging in there waiting. I just want the um, teachers and Mayor Fuller and the school committee to just um, agree on something for now so the kids can go back to school. Yeah, I think you've been enough days off. Meanwhile, right now, the union is facing a massive fine of over half a million dollars, and they're facing $50,000 each day that the strike continues. So they're not they'll well, first of all, they're not going to pay it, but and that's they don't intend to pay it. They'll then argue about it. But um, let's go to Channel 5. This, this is crazy that this is... I don't blame the parents. He tried to find common ground. <clears throat> and tensions boiled over last night as some parents actually pushed to get into the union's nightly update. I'm not fighting anybody. I'm just trying to walk in. 
Some parents worry the state teachers union is now driving this strike. Newton teachers say that is not the case. The two sides bargained late into the night and made some progress, but the sides tell us they have barely talked about money and remain over $20 million apart over the life of the contract. It's important that we get through these, these issues of how we work the school day and you know how we're going to address class size issues. All those things are really important, but at the end of the day, we've got to agree on the money too. And that's the part of the discussion that just isn't happening quick enough. I know that what we are doing is what's best for our kids and what's best for our schools and the budget and the finances that's their responsibility to work out and about 20 parents have written letters to the judge who is overseeing this case and coming up at 5:30, we will hear from one of the parents who is now trying to join the legal fight to you know again um th th this is i don't know how else to explain it's an illegal strike this is the chair of the Newton School Committee. Breaks down 10th day of no school. Everything that they're arguing about, they, they have no right to be doing this during the school year. This is what the summertime is for or what have you. This is an illegal strike. I believe they should fire them. They should absolutely fire the teachers that won't report back to the classroom. Only one kind of progress that matters right now. My kids aren't going to school again. This has gone too far. We need our kids back in school. And only the union can unilaterally make that decision. They won't. You know, when he said it went too far, it went too far, far excuse me, it went too far the first day that they allowed the illegal strike. So do I want to see anyone out of work? No. I don't know, and I, and I applaud columnists that are writing about this. It's it's an illegal strike. It shouldn't be about fines. They should be terminated. I I, I don't understand what part of that they don't get. And, and whoever would continue to put their children in that system, um, it, this is why the public school system is failing. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. your oil needs make it henry oil call henry oil today 401-521-0200 reliable affordable fuel oil delivery call henry oil today fuel oil diesel gasoline delivery it's henry oil residential commercial fuel oil delivery since 1947 they also have budget plans service contracts lack lock and cap pricing you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Serving most of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. we got a long way to go with winter. Make sure that tank is filled. Call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, a local family-run business since 1947 that you can depend on. For all your oil needs, call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, it's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he's our legal expert, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, we're going to start off with, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the closure of the Washington Bridge. And then we learned that late last week that apparently the U.S. attorney has now sent a letter that the McKee administration DOT released that they're going to be taking a look. Apparently uh, civil, they're giving them a, quite some time to get their, all the uh, documents together. What, what can you tell us about the legal aspects of this? I believe in what I've been able to glean from the back and forth on this is this is not an unusual step for the feds to take. Um, it's certainly an issue with this bridge. Was there any negligence? Was there any oversight in finding, you know, 
bridge damage that could have been repaired previously and not have this emergency situation. Um, there's certainly a federal component to looking at this as this whole bridge situation has major economic and safety consequences for Rhode Islanders and anyone in southeastern New England who uses that stretch of roadway. Um, certainly, I think the McKee administration um, could do a better job um, with its talking points and with its transparency with the media. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot that they have to cover up, but the manner in which they're responding to press inquiries just leads to more questions. I would note, John, that even Peter Nerona, who is really no fan, obviously, of the McKee administration, couldn't really do much with this um, federal request for information. Even he had to acknowledge that this is a fairly routine thing that the feds would do under the circumstances. So the request by the feds for information in and of itself um, does not suggest that the feds are onto something that's going to lead to whatever, criminal problems, fraud problems, et cetera. And, you know, when the McKee people say, you know, we've got to let the investigation run its course, I guess that's true to a certain degree. This gets into, I would presume, very technical engineering questions. What could, what could, what could have been seen by engineers or inspectors you know, what did they know and when did they know it? Uh, when did they report on it? Um, was previously defective conditions covered up, um, glossed over? We don't know the full extent of what these outside um, inspectors did, what they were paid, when they did their investigations, what the report write-ups were like, uh, were there photographs, were there tests? It, I, I wouldn't even know all the questions that should appropriately be on the table from an engineering standpoint. But um, to get back to your question, the fact that the feds have made this request for information, um, it appears like it's not the most unusual of circumstances. Now, to the extent that the McKee administration might ask for more time to respond, and that request for more time could be seen by some as stonewalling, but it might be that they're still putting together the engineering and scientific investigation of this thing. Talking to witnesses, talking to investigators, getting statements. Um, like anything else that's governmental related, it typically takes a lot longer than we would expect it to take. It's just the nature of the beast. Now, Tim Dodd, in, inside the request, they mentioned false claims. Now, when we're talking huge amounts of money, um, it's my understanding that they look at this and say, okay, you know, the federal government, I think it is like 80% that they actually pay a lot of this stuff. But it, it sounds like false claims that they are exploring. Okay, you know, we were billed that certain work was done and that it was performed, and Seemingly, I guess with a job of this magnitude, it's very possible that some of the work w was not done, but yet the contractors were paid for it. Well, that's clearly a legitimate area of inquiry. Uh, if something was missed that should have been seen, the question would be who, whose fault is that? Where does the fault lie? Yeah. If an outside um, engineering company is doing this um, investigation, looking at the uh, bridge's integrity, and the inspectors gloss over things or, you know, write up a slapdash report, if you will, and get paid all the money for it, um, and don't look or just do a cursory investigation but bill for something more substantial, well, there could be false reporting. Um, if there is false reporting, um, 
would it be reporting by the state or by any private contractors engaged by the state to do some of this investigatory work and this engineering work? Let's assume it was outside people. They give a report to DOT. DOT presumes that the report that they're being given is accurate and legitimate and not falsified. I guess if you're hiring outside people and they're billing you for it and you're trusting the fact that they're giving you accurate information that you should reasonably be able to rely on, right? that's one thing. So if there was false reporting or gross negligence in investigating, would that ultimately fall on the DOT if it's their people who did something that might be considered down the line to be negligent or falsified, or if it was outside people, what's the remedy? And what's the um, liability of the state if they reasonably rely on outside vendors? That's why it's a complicated situation. And, you know, the press is asking the administration really good pointed questions um, to neither attack nor defend the governor and the way he's approaching this. Some of these questions, uh, I think it's too speculative to provide solid answers until, uh, as Alviti and the governor have been saying, you know, we got to see what the report shows. And although that might seem as a cover-up to some, I don't know how one provides the answers in the full disclosure and dotting every I and crossing every T that the press is looking for until that investigation is complete. It's very frustrating because the public is, you know, being inconvenienced every day. The administration's not helping itself when they talk about, well, it's just a minor delay. You know, it's just a little time extra. You're going to be on um, the bridge and trying to get to your destination better to say nothing to say something like that which is just inflammatory and it doesn't help the situation at all and again it's a problem of probably not the best messaging um i think it's more of a problem of messaging more than it is a quote-unquote cover-up of any sort at this point Uh, i don't know how it'd be a cover-up until you know what you're covering up and i don't think everyone has the full picture Folks, we're speaking with our legal analyst, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, if you could just touch on these documents, they're not being subpoenaed. Um, right now, it's they're you know demanding or requesting they be delivered. But behind the scenes, Tim Dodd, this, you know, who goes through? This is a massive amount of information. They want information to go back to 2015. Who would then process and go through all of this material once they acquire it? Well, if it's being requested of the DOT, then the DOT would be providing the information no. requested. No, who, who would be going through it on the, the, the government side? On DOT side? No, no. As far as it's it's the U.S. attorney that's requesting the information, who would then comb through and go through all the documents that are provided to the to the feds? Well, I'm sure the feds would, through their attorneys, would have to engage their own consultants because, okay. you know, lawyers can know a little bit about a lot, but we're not engineers. And certainly whatever would be contained in those reports um, would probably require some expert analysis by outside experts that the feds would have to engage to review what is in there i mean it's a very very complicated situation yeah and if they're looking back to 2015 one would presume we're looking to see if there was open obvious or things that should have been seen um should have been tested which weren't tested i mean this this problem was bridge is in such a um dangerous condition apparently it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen between july when it was last inspected and today you got to presume this has been a festering problem for some period of time but again that's my presumption as a non-engineer an engineer might tell me something different but i think that the feds are going back that far 
really looking to see if there's been more than one time where reports were insufficient or superficial or perhaps falsified. And if any of those things are present, what does that fall on state employees or outside vendors? We don't know the answers yet. And and this is being conducted uh, locally. If you could just touch on the fact that these weren't uh, actually, uh, again, as I said, they weren't subpoenaed. It's the U.S. Justice Department is seeking records. What would be the difference? Where could this turn into, you know, sometimes we see things are subpoenaed or there's even a raid? Well, right now, I believe they said we're commanding that you yes. produce this documentation. That was the word used. And a command is not a legally enforceable um, term of art to use. If the, if the documents are requested and they're not provided or insufficiently provided uh, or the feds think there's something more to be had, this could certainly ratchet up to something where the subpoenas are issued. But I think it's premature because subpoenaing documentation would require that there's a, a, a case of some sort that's active. And right now we're just in the investigatory stage. We sure. don't know if this is going to um, disclose some fraud or some malfeasance or nonfeasance again, on the part of any of the players involved, state employees or outside vendors, we just don't know. Um, so for the feds to start subpoenaing things would be premature. Okay. But to open an investigation to request information pertinent to what's been going on for review um, is appropriate. It's way premature for subpoenas. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead, our legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on The John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. Call them today. Heating and cooling in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209 in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 for Propane Plus. Three generations you can always depend on on Propane Plus for all your heating and cooling. Call them today, 401-885-4209. Three generations, they're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they're gonna serve you for a very long time. They have a great user-friendly website. You just log on at propaneplus.com, and then you type in your zip code, residential, commercial, Propane Plus, heating and cooling, always there for you. Give them a call today. In Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. The Johnson family, three generations, heating and cooling. You can always depend on Propane Plus. We're speaking with our legal analyst, it's attorney Tim Dot. Tim, let's turn our uh, eyes to the border. Quite the battle shaping up right now between the governor of Texas and the Biden administration. Well, yes, Texas is contending that the Biden administration is failing to uphold and enforce existing law and that within the U.S. Constitution, there are provisions where um, the individual states um, on their own can take appropriate steps to secure their borders. And the Biden administration is saying, you've got no right to do that. So, I mean, this is once again, um, a case which is destined for the US Supreme Court to interpret um, whether or not what Texas is doing is consistent with the US Constitution. Um, it appears I, from my cursory re review of this, because it's a very involved case, that Texas is within its right to attempt to um, try to um, uphold the integrity of its borders and not just have a free-for-all at their border. And uh, the Biden administration says, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, Texas is saying, well, we're doing what you're supposed to be doing, federal government, and you're simply not doing it, and we're not going to sit on our hands and not protect the integrity of our borders. Um, 
it's a, it's a very provocative situation because Texas is bearing the brunt of this infiltration of folks coming here um, uh, illegally, if you will, and the federal government in Texas's view is not doing anything about it. Um, certainly we're coming into a political season where there's going to be finger pointing on both sides as to who's failing to do what's appropriate to secure the border. But um, as this makes its way through the court system, unless something changes with some law that's passed through Congress or ultimately a change of administration, perhaps, this will go to the Supreme Court, and I think Texas would prevail based on what I know to date. Folks, we're speaking with our legal analyst, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, in Massachusetts, how about these accusations? This is a scandal within the Massachusetts State Police, and it's frightening. That if, if this is all true, then in exchange for things like uh, snowblower and someone getting their driveway done, that yes. they were actually handing out these commercial driver's licenses. I mean, it's funny. Rhode Island is always comparing itself to Massachusetts and, oh, boy, can't we be more like Massachusetts with education and all these different things? And Massachusetts has its own problems. It's had its own problems with its politicians going to jail. And this is another black eye for Massachusetts. Um, six state troopers, I think four who are currently on the job and two retired state troopers are amongst the group of individuals who have been arrested and indicted onto this um, bribery scheme. And you're right. Um, in some cases, um, individuals looking for a CDO license were paying money in exchange for um, getting the license, whether they passed uh, the CDL test or not. And as you indicated, uh, it could be for things like um, having your driveway paved which would be a t allegedly a $10,000 item. So the, uh, allegedly the trooper would say, well, you know, you want that CDL license? You know, my driveway needs a paving. And, you know, that happens and boom, you get your license. Or somebody, somebody got a license in exchange for a snowblower. I mean, this is like the petty type of corruption that you would not think would be present within the ranks of the Massachusetts state troopers. Now, through counsel, they're all saying, you know, my client is innocent. This is all a misunderstanding. Um, this is a, a misunderstanding, and these troopers are getting played, and the, the, the fingers being pointed at them by others. But um, wherever the facts ultimately lie, it is certainly in the short term a black eye for Massachusetts and especially the, the ranks of the state police. Um, these things happen. I mean, these people are humans and they're, you know, susceptible to temptation. We don't yet know if the charges that have been brought um, will be proved, as we know. And sometimes it's tough to keep in mind that everyone in this country is presumed innocent until proven guilty. These troopers are cloaked with the presumption of innocence and the system will grind its way to a conclusion as to whether they go to trial and are found guilty or they're found not guilty, or they take a plea deal somewhere along the way. Um, but the fact that it's active members of the state police, John, I find the most striking. Yeah. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, you've often said during our conversations that President Trump would be a tough client to represent. And, um, boy, that was quite the result he got in court to the tune of millions with Gene Carroll. Oh, my God. It's... He would be the worst client in history. Um, it's it's just astonishing. Let let's compare let's compare what happened. The first E. Jean Carroll trial where she sues him for defamation. My recollection he he didn't show up for that trial. He didn't testify. He didn't sit in court. He just kind of ignored it like it wasn't happening. Jury comes back for five million dollars. Now, after that verdict and after that conclusion, Trump continues to call her a liar, continues to say, I don't know her, continues to protest that, you know, um, he, he talks about her in very disparaging terms. 
Um, so she says he's still doing it. So she goes after him again. He shows up for the second trial. He sits there gesticulating and shaking his head and talking under his breath and, you know, just making a spectacle of himself, <laughs> including walking out during uh, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer's closing argument. He storms out of the courtroom. It's not the way you behave in a courtroom. So when he sh doesn't show up, he gets whacked for $5 million. When he does show up and participates, he gets whacked for $85 million. Um, it should be a lesson to him, but I don't know if it'll sink in. He would have been better this time to not show up. In, in hindsight, he probably would have been better not to show up. I think his conduct... Um, probably inflamed this jury and he was not in a friendly forum anyways and his conduct probably led the jury to think gee this guy really did do this and he did mean this and he did act this way um trump will obviously take an appeal um, i think he's got some good appellate issues what the judge allowed trump and his team to put into evidence and what the judge would not allow them to put into evidence um, makes this case ripe for an appeal. In addition, I'm, I'm not sure that the jury verdict would stand up because it's such an astonishingly large number. Now, most of the verdict is for punitive damages. Punitive damages is to punish the wrongdoer and to make an example of the wrongdoer to try to send a message out there to others not to do engage in the same type of conduct. Now, in Rhode Island, to get punitive damages, one would have a plaintiff would have to show that the conduct of the defendant is willful, wanton, reckless, intent amount to criminality. Now, this would never, in the Trump case, reach the criminality um, part of the equation, but if his conduct was willful, wanton, and reckless in continuing to castigate E. Jean Carroll, call her a liar, etc., um, you know, he was playing with fire. Um, I don't know why he was out there doing it. He's got enough legitimate political topics to talk about as to what he would do as president if reelected, not to spend his time uh, moaning about that... He, he was done dirty by E.G. and Carol, and she's a liar, and they, that, that she and her lawyers and supporters set him up. It's, it's a waste of his political capital, and it's a waste of his time, and he got whacked for it. So now he's got to hope that an appellate court will overturn this decision and find fault with the rulings of the trial judge. And I think there's a lot to be... Um, looked at in terms of how the judge conducted this trial um, so does he have good appellate issues yes but in the short term is he damaged financially and politically yeah big time so his conduct has consequences and this is one time where his antics um, blew up in his face there's no other way to put it you need a good plumber? I found the best plumber. JMB Plumbing. Call them today. All your plumbing needs. 401-743-9153. JMB Plumbing. They've been providing plumbing services for years. Skilled professionals stand behind their work. Guarantee you will be happy. Maybe it's repairing damaged water pipes, repair clogged pipelines, maybe replace a, a water heater, as well as all your plumbing needs. Call them now. It's JMB Plumbing, 401 743 9153. Nothing throws off your life or your home or your business. When you need plumbing service, you need someone reliable, someone who's professional, someone who'll handle the job and do it right. It's JMB Plumbing. Call them today. 401-743-9153 JMB Plumbing and look for them on Facebook. A great meal, a great time is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. 
Rhode Island tradition since 1977, 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick. They have a large dining room, perfect, maybe a, a group, uh, maybe a collation, lunch. The Coesed Inn, getting a big group together or maybe just you alone or a date. 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick. Great staff, terrific food. They're always working on the menu. And they also have a nice lounge as well. You have the market at Coesed right there. They're open seven days a week. I'll see you for a great meal. Make it the Coesed Inn. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Jeff Jacoby in the Boston Globe. Give Newton, Newton's teachers an ultimatum. Return to work or forfeit your jobs. He writes, it's been a while since the 12,000 public school students in Newton have studied history or anything else. Since the NTA, Newton Teach Association, declared a strike January 18th, all classes, activities, 22 schools canceled. Classroom learning has come to a halt. So he writes, maybe there's a good moment for an impromptu lesson on American history. The morning of August 3rd, 1981, the union representing the nation's air traffic controllers, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization, called a strike. As government employees, the controllers were prohibited by law from walking off the job. Nonetheless, 95% of the members voted to strike for higher pay in shorter hours. Knowing that thousands of flights would be canceled till they return, they were counting on public pressure to compel the FAA to come to new terms on a contract. But a White House press conference a few hours later, President Reagan issued an ultimatum. I must tell those who failed to report for duty this morning they're in violation of the law. If they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. Two days later, only 1,300 air traffic controllers returned to work. Reagan fired 11,345 who had not. As a one-time union leader who had led a strike, Reagan took no pleasure in moving against the controllers, not least because it had been one of the few unions to endorse him during the 1980 presidential campaign, but federal law banned government workers from striking, and Reagan believed that failing to uphold the law would set a terrible precedent, opening the door to further extortion from other public employee unions. It would also convey a deeply corrosive message. Laws intended to protect the public could be flouted with impunity. At his press conference, he praised those air traffic controllers who would remain at their post, quoted one who would resign from the union, saying, how can I ask my kids to obey the law if I don't? Now, members of the Newton Teachers Association should have asked the same question before abandoning their jobs. Even if the striking teachers don't care about the toxic example that they're setting, Newton's taxpayers, elected officials certainly ought to. It's outrageous. The union's 2,000 teachers, other school personnel, have left so many families in the lurch, forcing parents into desperate scramble to rate, make arrangements for daycare, throwing children's routines into turmoil, stress, anxiety, wreaking havoc, and they're doing it in brazen violation of the law. Again, this is Jeff Jacoby, Boston Globe. The language is unequivocal. No public employee or employee organization shall engage in a strike. No public employee shall induce, encourage, or condone any strike. So they're openly doing this. The law's adamant about that. Unlike in the private sector, strikes by public employees are designed to inflict distress not on management but on innocent third parties, ordinary citizens, and to deploy that distress as a bargaining weapon. Like the air traffic controllers in 1981, Newton's unionized teachers whose salaries by the way average ninety-three thousand, come with generous benefits are not striking over some towering moral principle they're striking because they want more money and guaranteed future raises that is no justification for organized law breaking newton's teachers have no more right to desert their classrooms than they do to shoplift or commit fraud they should be told what reagan told 
said to those union members, say traffic controllers, get back to work or you're fired. The Gipper took some heat for his hard line, but Americans strongly backed him. In a nationwide Gallup poll, 59% of respondents approved of Reagan's quick move to shut down the strike. A subsequent uh, Associated Press NBC News survey put public support even higher, 64%, as a matter of both good government and wise politics. Government employees who walk off the line should be terminated. Since January 18th, Newton's teachers have deliberately broken the law. Let them know they have 24 hours to return to their jobs or they'll have no job to return to. Totally agree with them. Jeff Jacoby, Boston Globe. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Stop in and see Marie, that historic white church. Shop local, inside, all quality products, vitamins, herbal remedies, trusted companies. They understand quality, integrity. It's My Health. It's all about your health, local products. I say, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. You know, they carry over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products, and much more natural skincare products. Stop it and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Mended Road in Cumberland. It's all about health for you, for your family. There's vitamins for children, all different types of teas, all different types of spices. Boy, what a difference it'll make. Shop local. Stop it and see the queen of health. It's Marie. And it's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant, right in that historic white church. It's all about health. It's all about your health at It's My Health. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, I always tout our website just because it has exclusive stories and video. It has links to on-the-scene live stream. Remember, there's no uh, vowel I. It's D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, DePietro.com. You can also reach me that way if you'd like to get in touch with me. DePietro.com, log on. And then links to Facebook and YouTube, everything we have, it's all waiting for you right there at the website. When it comes to insurance, you need a neighbor, a partner, and friend. You need Shopper Insurance Agency. They're located right on Reservoir Avenue in Cranston. Call today, free consultation, 401 900 I-N-S-U, 401-900-4678, SHAPA Insurance, SIA. Stephen, very experienced. Whether it's auto, home, renters, business insurance, flood, recreational, umbrella, any other protection for your assets, Rhode Island of Massachusetts, SHAPA Insurance Agency, your agency of choice. Call today, set up a meeting. They're so knowledgeable can have everything under one roof call shoppa insurance today 401 900 insu or 401 900 4678 look for them on facebook again located reservoir avenue in cranston shoppa insurance agency your neighbor your partner your friend one-stop insurance solutions mm-hmm. 